0: Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the Border Chronicles audio interview series. One of the reasons that I wanted to interview Isabel Garcia is that I thought there would be no better person who could assess the first year of the Biden administration in terms of the border. After all, Isabel Garcia is one of the co-founders of the Coalición de Derechos Humanos, a grassroots organization that has been fighting border militarization since 1993. And that's the year that Operation Hold the Line was implemented. Um, Isabel's been on the front lines even before that. She's been doing this work since 1976. So she brings a, a profound, historic perspective and one full of a lot of wisdom and insight. In the interview, she takes us on a journey through the first year of the Biden administration, discusses the continuation of the militarization of the U.S.-Mexico border and its impacts. Um, She does discuss Title 42 as well. And she also brings in a more historic perspective, looking at the bipartisan nature of the decades-long fortification of the border. And she stresses that these historic perspectives are super important as we discuss the border um, and try to find a way forward. And by historic perspectives, she definitely means the border history, but she also means immigration history, looking back centuries, and labor history among other histories, including that of US foreign policy. In all that, she offers uh, advice around a uh, border policy or how we could proceed going forward um, in that she does include uh, a an examination of US foreign policy and seeing if any of our policies have caused displacement in other countries and to change such policies. She also recommends that there be a legalization of all non-citizens in the country And finally, a demilitarization of the border. And here comes her decades of wisdom. It bubbles up to the top when she says that the border itself could be quote unquote one of the most beautiful places in the world, but what it will take, and you should listen on to hear her reasoning, her insight, and her knowledge when she says that it will take a a quote unquote quiet revolution. Please listen in. Thank you. Isabel Garcia, thank you so much for um, spending the time with me today. It's really an honor to be with you. Um, I think I just want to get started by asking you, you know, we're almost a a year into the Biden administration. There was a lot of uh, talk about, you know, the transition from Trump to Biden, how, Potential solutions, quote unquote, to the border um, or it would be found in such a transition. And now, after you know nearly a year of watching things happen, um what what is one your assessment of what's happened? No first, I guess we'll just start with what what have you observed? what have you seen? What are some of the insights that you've had about what's happened, especially on the border?
1: Thank you for for having me to, to discuss this really important issue. I um, I, like many, just felt overwhelming sense of relief that Trump was no longer in. I mean, I could go off on the many things that would continue and be increased. So all of us are still breathing a sigh of relief, but those of us that have fought for many years against the very policies that we see entrenched, of course, have to make an honest assessment. And it's not very difficult. It's not as if we had told people, you know, Biden is the answer to all or any of the Democrats have never been the answer to our immigration or border issues ever. And so going in, while we are very glad at the tone, the tenor, of the discussion, you know, that's really important. Whether it's, even if it's not concretely in a law, just the the tenor of the discussion has been really a very positive thing. But in terms of policy, of course, we have to dive in right away because we were on fire. And we expected Biden to come in and really address these issues in a more systematic way. And so my first assessment and, and criticism is two words, stay home. Stay home is no longer a valid policy or a, a directive for our country to tell anybody, to the South in particular, right? And so we see that um, Biden even though he has attempted to deal with the issue of asylum at the border the you know MPP the keep really keep people in the Mexico and he has attempted but he went about it the wrong way and I'm hoping that he does continue but as a whole I still think that they should have been much stronger in making the case for protection of asylum at our borders, which they have not. Title 42 is an abomination. All of the medical doctors and medical people will tell you, science will tell you that it's ridiculous. It's uh, wrong assumptions, and yet the Biden administration continues with it, hurting so many people uh, in it.
0: Could you explain what Title 42 is?
1: Title 42 is really an obscure um, section in uh, one of our statutes that allows for basically the closing of borders. I wish I had the exact language. Closing of borders to attend to really uh, emergent issues. I mean, we have not utilized... Title 42 in this fashion, what can I say? And since scientists and medical people have uh, completely debunked this, Title 42 should not be utilized as a way to preclude, uh, in particular, asylees. Biden has been very weak on the issue of asylum. Uh, Vice President Harris went south and just said, stay home without giving an indication of any realization or acknowledgement of policy failures, of uh, all of the impending issues, and how our um, history with those nations uh, has to be addressed in order to do anything appropriately. So when that was missing, I mean, we weren't surprised, but again, uh, we were hurt. Um, There's been a complete lack of inclusion of the migrant voices in regards to any of the um, of the issues, whether it's receiving services as essential workers, they were left out. How can they be left out when migrants have been the essential backbone of this nation for hundreds, you know, a couple hundred years here? Um, the death rate on the border has increased, if anything. Why? Because, as we've said over 20 years ago, 30 years ago, that as we militarize a border, the more death there will be. As we militarize the border, there will be all of the ambiguous death, right? 60 some percent, 70 percent of people that will never know what happened to that, to their loved one.
0: Can I ask you a question? Have we seen a further militarization of the border under the Biden administration?
1: Yes. And, and again, we observe what's going on. Have I seen a dramatic shift from this administration to say we should stop militarizing the border, we should assess our policies, we should uh, assess the the Border Patrol as an agency and how effective, how violent it is. None of that has come about under um, Secretary Mayorkas, and especially under Biden. I think he has an opportunity to educate the public, and they have not. And so the border continues to be militarized. They claim um, we did stop some of the horrific damage done by the Trump administration, but we have to acknowledge that in the state of Arizona, Sonora, we saw more destruction than any other place. We saw destruction that cannot be remediated in any real way. I mean, it's devastating. And this administration is now prosecuting a young Tohono Autumn activist for standing in front of those bulldozers while the Trump administration was enacting its horrific policy on the border. I expected those charges to be dropped for the uh, Biden administration to look at his U.S. attorneys and their priorities, particularly along the border, and has he? He has not.
0: Could you explain what happened that day with the Ta'ana activists you just mentioned?
1: Yes, in, um, I believe, early January of this year, um, two young Ta'ana women activists uh, were... In the area of the Quito, Quito Springs, which is incredible treasure, of course, along the, the uh, desert here, and very um, uh, important to the Tohono uh, nation as a whole, and. They were uh, exercising their religious rights. They heard the commotion. They've known. Of course, we've all been active in monitoring what's going on with the destruction and crying. If I cried over fallen Sawados and what I saw with my eyes, I can just imagine the hurt in the Tohono people who had to see this destruction. And so this young woman is still being prosecuted under the Biden administration. So as he touts more progressive sounding policies. Yes, he has supported the uh, dreamers as a whole. Yes, they're not uh, going wholesale after them. And I commend them for that. But ICE is still alive. ICE is still um, actively um, chasing people. Uh, issuing um, notices of appearances for deportation. I just read recently over 78,000 were issued to asylees that they want them to present themselves, put ankle bracelets, and be set up for deportation. And that's the other thing. If they continue to have this deportation arm and litigation, it is high time that Biden say once and for all, Every person that is subject to deportation must be assigned an attorney. Because without an attorney, you have absolutely no rights. You don't know how to exercise your rights. My uh, teacher, tax professor at the university years ago, told me the only uh, area uh, that is as regulated as we are, as complex, is immigration law because it, you don't just go to the statute, you have to go to the Code of Federal Regulation, and so it's a very complicated area of the law where people are being, um, basically going to be banished from the country forever, and across them sits an attorney who is specialized in this area of the law that rep- that is organized office and has many resources, in front of a judge who's going to make these decisions without assisting you and then asking you to defend yourself. And so, not as an elitist that other people can defend themselves, but not if you do not know the rules and the laws of this country. We call ourselves a, a nation of laws and the rule of law being it, and yet we don't do that.
0: Yeah, could you? So, you said that 78,000 people. Who are asking for asylum are being led into the country but given, uh, detained by it with eight ankle. Or could you just explain? Yes.
1: Some of the people that came into the country were not, they were not able to process them. The way they wanted to and have ankle bracelets put. They issued them a notice to appear somewhere else. Not a, an official notice to appear, but a notice to go to the nearest ICE and present yourself. And they're telling them you are going to be subject to either, you know, detention or some kind of restriction. And that's in addition to the people they have in custody. I'm just saying, out of the people that, that, they claim just today they issued 78,000. Uh, so there's many more. But my point being that we continue to finance a very expensive operation that uses taxpayer money and causes only suffering, does not address the issues of migration in the least you know they continue to militarize even if they've stopped some of the uh, wall building they've continued with their smart technology and uh, every way to create uh, a border they want a border one way or another and so uh, democrats and republicans alike i voted democrat all my life um, and continue to but i have no you know uh, notion that uh, that the Democrats are very responsible as well for the militarization of this border and for the ignoring of root causes, uh, particularly from our policies.
0: Could you explain in what ways you've seen the Democrats as responsible or partly responsible for the militarization of the border?
1: Okay, well, I'll have to, you know. myself, but since 1976 we have been fighting for immigrant rights. I was a young woman and we have fought within the Democratic Party, of course we're progressive and such, and we have fought the Democratic Party over and over and over again on the militarization of this border. Every single bill that comes along whether it was Simpson Mazzoli, Simpson Rodino, whether it's the Strive Act, it doesn't matter what decade it has been proposed by Democrats as a compromise and always compromising what obviously compromising the border in addition to other things, but definitely utilizing the border as a negotiation point. I mean I was involved in in <clears throat> discussions with, Top, the top Hispanic leadership of the time that argued, if we don't support militarization at the border, we will not get any legalization. And I argued to them, we're going to get only militarization because you conceded with the right that we need militarization. They challenged you on the legalization, so do we have an additional visa? No. We do not, by policy, have one additional visa. Do we have more militarization? Yes, we do. And so decade after decade after decade, um, we have seen the same response from the Democrats. I am awaiting for the, the leadership of the youth, of the dreamers in particular, to take us to a new era where we will stop Uh, this, you know, not only is it a plundering of our uh, precious money, but um, the damage that we're doing is incalculable, right? Uh, Both to families on the little level, whether we have a social death, right? When you deport the father or the mother and the children are left to be uh, raised by a telephone, through FaceTime, with an uncle or an aunt, and so that social death that we're responsible for too. And so we want more from Biden. We expect that he can begin to really talk about these issues. We think it's it's complicated, but it's not that complicated for them to sit down and discuss and to say, look, it, people from Honduras have been trying to come here because of our policies of supporting horrific governments in Honduras, in Guatemala, in El Salvador. Well, the policies that we've engaged in in Mexico that have produced the very migration that we hate, that we love to hate, not only hate, and yet, migrants continue to build, you know, and, and build, which is why many people, after the 2008 um, you know, collapse, that they compared other countries to the United States, that we didn't do so bad. Why? Because of the continued migrant labor force, right? We, we've, we're addicted to cheap labor. And that's why we have migrants in our midst, not because we're humanitarian, because we've depended on them for all this time, you know. And so we, um, we also want um, uh, this administration to uh, take off all of those burdensome uh, requirements for people, right? I mean, well, we can get into the weeds, right? I guess and we don't have time right now to get into weeds except to say that we should be honest with the American public. I've always thought... We're in the mess we're in because we don't know our major histories. We don't know the history of the genocide of the indigenous people and the land grabs. Why can't we talk about it? Why, why can't we talk about it? I mean, we can't talk about slavery and post-slavery for some god reasons. We don't talk about the history of labor. I'll tell you that my father was a, a labor organizer, right? A union leader and created to help create the middle Chicano middle class in Arizona with the copper mines and their, you know, unions and nobody knows the history of labor. And no one knows the history of immigration and that's really shameful too. Shameful that we don't know what how it was really founded, not on this, you know, fairy tales. We can talk about the good things we've done in our country. And I, I submit that many of the good things that have resulted in our country are because of those very struggles that have happened in all of those histories that I just spoke of.
0: Do you think if, if people, if we were more aware of those histories that there would be a different conversation around immigration around the border? And what do you think that, that conversation would be?
1: Oh my goodness, the conversation would be dramatically different. I believe that we must teach K through 12 this history. Along with those other four histories, we must t- teach immigration. We claim to be a nation of immigrants. We claim that Immigrants from Europe came here to found this country, right? And so why don't we tell the very important history that we were founded on, you know, genocide of indigenous people that are continuing uh, to, to, you know, to suffer? And so then we go up to the immigration, I mean... Let's go, you know, eighteen, late 1880s, and, uh, you know, we needed labor force, and so the Chinese immigrants were brought in, and they were brutalized, and, you know, we had lynchings, a major lynching of Chinese immigrants, right? And so it was so anti-Chinese. That the public was just in an uproar. They not only did the Chinese Exclusion Act, but they followed it up with, you know, these departmental orders. And they created a, a departmental order, I think, in 1916, uh, under the Department of Treasury, because they said any industry or person that hires a foreign worker must pay a head tax. A guest worker program, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that was not liked. So they went to the Department of Treasury, and they lobbied until they got what? They got a waiver for who? Mexican immigrants. They got a waiver for Mexican immigrants. Why don't we tell that history? And that we got that waiver for what reason? So we can... bring cheap labor. It's a historical fact. You can see it. You can see um, articles with newspapers, um, copies of old newspapers with these things. I mean, these are historical facts. In the historical uh, congressional record, you can hear what has been said about Chinese. or. I mean, these are all facts. And if we knew the history, people don't even know that this was part of Mexico. Have I told
0: you
1: where we are right now in Arizona? Mm -hmm. People have no idea this area was even Mexico. So, you know, how difficult is that for us? So when people say, well, you don't have such a, a nice jingle like what don't you get about illegal or stuff like that, I tell them it's not that we don't have catchy phrases, it's that they have an audience that has been steeped in what this shallow history and know nothing except that they want to take our stuff and they want our way of life and they should go home and you know fix their own place that kind of attitude right and so we have no idea that after we you know we took land from the indigenous we took land then from mexico in an act of war i mean and since then we have been importing mexicanos I'm telling you, since And then we did, of course, the the famous Bracero Act uh, in the, you know, last World War. We had, um, you know, two million crossings, at least, of over a million Mexicanos who were, what, brought into the country because, why, we needed them, right? Anytime we've had a war effort, we needed women or we needed immigrants, right? I mean, that's when we relax. And we have a history of that. And so we've created... um, A situation where, of course, industry gets cheap labor, and we get restrictive laws that can be imposed whenever the need arises. And then they invoke the restrictive nature, and that's where we've been. We've been, why? Because now we do war is how? We do them by drone and stuff. I mean, things have all changed. Economic things have changed. I mean, that's the other thing. It's, you know, the economic pressure that has been created um, in those countries uh, to migrate is huge, and people have no idea. So that's all part of migration. That letter writer that wrote in the letter to the editor, why don't these people in the caravans from Honduras uh, instead uh, petition their government in Tegucigalpa? That's the question, right? And so, why aren't we answering that question? It, it should be known. People should know what we've done in those countries. I mean, here we condemn Cuba. We condemn all these countries. And look at Honduras—is hit it up by a narco trafficking family that's been indicted in Florida. I mean, it's it's just an abomination. So,
0: so in other words, uh, like for when you think of border issues, they're Vast, right? They're they're extending. You're looking at U.S. policy that's going to places like Honduras and Tegucigalpa and like and all throughout Central America, yes. so all around the world, really. Absolutely. And um, and so when you think of what would be a quote unquote solution, right? There's, for example, with Biden coming in, there's a lot of talk. Oh, we're going to remedy the situation. Yeah. But in your view, what would that what would that be if you were in charge, if you could come up, implement a solution, considering all the yep. histories you mentioned, considering all the US policies and, and the border, the militarization of the border too, what would you How oh, would you it's envision it's it? It's such a
1: huge thing, but just as a policy thing and simplistic, it's, it's gotta be like in, in three big chunks or something. We've got to address for our policies, our our policies abroad, whether they be it military, drug, and economic. We have to look at root cause. If we don't look look at root cause, then Democrats refuse to look at root cause, just refuse to deal with root cause and refuse to deal with the militarization. So that means, how about it? Dealing with our countries, partner countries with respect and dignity. You know what these countries have given our country? I mean a lot anyway, but that goes to the history part, right? But we need to do that. Sit as cooperative partners. Not the security and prosperity pact where oh the US rules, you know, from here till kingdom come. No. There's got to be respect. You don't want people to migrate well, then stop your U.S. dollars from being used in that way to make that family migrate. We've ruined uh, their ability to grow crops in certain areas. They didn't do it. We did. right? And so there has to be that sort of thing. <clears throat> Secondly, I think there has to be a total um, like, legalization of people, regularization of people, period. That's it regularization of people, right? There should be a demilitarization of the border with a real emphasis on the border at creating the most beautiful places in the world. Oh, They should be places of radical hospitality and places where where stuff happens, where something happens. I mean, all our merges somehow make magic. You know, and there's pain there and stuff. Uh, but I think that we could create a magical place with economic engines, with, I mean, you know, you know that Disney and U.S. interests know what's in Mexico. So why don't we let the people in Mexico and the U.S. people Benefit from them versus Disney or GM or you know whoever is taking over whatever product that Mexicans used to produce and now the agricultural business and I mean it's that kind of thing we have to do right, but it would require obviously a major change in in our economic situation because by let's face it I don't believe that we're really governed by either Democrats or Republicans you know it's really we're a capitalist economy. That's what controls. So how could that happen? Like what
0: is there I mean, is there any practical steps that could be taken right here, right now? Or yes,
1: I, I, I really think that we have to have some kind of quiet revolution. Of course it's gonna be hard in this country because everybody's armed. You know, that's a whole other thing. But I think that I mean we're talking people have decided they are going down to really basic things. I'm going to grow some food for our neighborhood, right? We have to. The indigenous people are saying we have to survive as indigenous people, right? I mean, we, I think we have to, um, let that creativity really uh, come out, especially in the young people. I think there's a lot of way of governance that that can be thought of. It would be uh, uh, deconstructing what we have. It would. It would imagine that. I mean, imagine what it would take to get to that, because we really can't get to hemispheric cooperation without addressing, you know, uh, the gorillas in the room, right? Mm-hmm. That own everything. Yeah. I mean, and they have no patriotism, none, and yet they exude this thing in the country. I mean, as it's incredible, as we claim we've globalized, uh, we've made more and more barriers. Well, no, that's a that's a proven fact across the world. As you know, more and more barriers have gone up for people as we claim we're more globalized.